Um, just really praying for an opportunity to minister to our guys. Um, it's amazing that I'm there every day and I know when a guy's struggling, when he needs a word of encouragement. And because I am there every day, um, ministry just kind of happens just by being available with our guys. Secondly, we have a ministry of prayer. We uh, believe in the power of prayer. We believe that nothing happens outside of God's will for our lives. So before and after every game and all throughout the game, all throughout practice, you know, we are, you know, intentional about trusting God with every area of our lives. Um, that goes from the win or the loss. So we really are focusing on prayer. And lastly, the part that I like the most is the, the ministry of preaching and discipleship where I get to get involved in young men's lives, one-on-one uh, -on -one meetings, showing them how to get in the word, and then also on game day, preaching chapels, doing Bible studies. So, I mean, God is really um, giving me a, a dream job that, you know, Jesus and football, I mean, really... It really doesn't get much better than that. You know, I, I, I can say that I have the job that um, I would do my job even if I didn't get paid for it, which is uh, a tremendous, tremendous blessing. And I'm so thankful that God has opened that door for me. But I am not a long-winded preacher. Um, I want to uh, jump right into the Word uh, this morning. Um, I'm going to share with you guys, um, guys and gals, a uh, passage that's found in Luke Chapter number seven, I'm going to read about 10 verses. I'm going to, be begin, going to begin reading in verse number 18. And I'm sitting down, but I kind of like to do this when I go somewhere. Do y'all mind standing as we read the word? Is that cool? Luke chapter number seven, verse number 18. If you have it, say amen. And it declares, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And at the very hour, he cured many infirmities afflictions and evil spirits and to many who were blind he gave sight jesus said to them go and tell john the things you have seen and heard that the blind see the lame walk the lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised the poor have had the gospel preached to them and blessed is he who is not offended because of me and when the messengers of john have reported he began to speak to the multitudes concerning john and he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are generously or gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet. Yes, I say to you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let me pray for us. Father God, I do thank you just for, God, these precious moments in time. God, we know that more so than an encouraging word or 
a, a, a good sounding sermon, God, we need to hear from you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, I pray, God, that you would literally and spiritually stand in my body and speak with my mouth. God, we desire to hear only from you now. So I simply ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Um, Before we take our trip into the text, I want us to take a trip uh, back in time. I believe it was about 11 years ago. It was a a simple Sunday, kind of like this during the senior, during the summer of my senior year in high school. You see, I was getting ready for church and I was um, putting my clothes on. I heard a phone ring and it was my, excuse me, my cousin Lawrence on the other end. Now, Lawrence is a, he's the jokester in the family. So immediately I kind of expected him to say something crazy. And what he told me was, hey, you have been, you have been nominated as one of the top prospects in Tennessee. (laughs) Whatever, Lawrence, why are you trying to play with me? You know, I'm, you know, I'm kind of excited, but I really didn't want to let on that I was, you know, getting, getting overjoyed. And he said, bruh, go to the store, get the paper, you're on the front page of the sports page. So I threw my clothes on, I broke every speeding record imaginable, got to the store, ripped open the, the newspaper. Before I paid for it, I looked at it, guess who was on the front page? Your boy was on the front page of the sports page, Tennessee top prospect. At that moment, my expectations were through the roof. I mean, you could not tell me I wasn't going to UT. I wasn't going to be a first-round draft pick, All-State, All-American, going to buy my mom a big house. I mean, at that moment in my life, my expectations was that I was going to have the most impactful season of my life, and I did, but just in, a, in another way. Fast forward from August, you get to November, what was a promising senior year, Turned out to a huge disappointment. No mention of Allstate. No playoff run. No scholarship offers. What was supposed to be my coming out party turned into a one. This is, this is embarrassing. A one and nine record my senior year. And God taught me a very valuable lesson. You see, in life, when my expectations are here, and reality is here, the middle part is usually disappointment or despair or discouragement. And if I'm really honest with myself, other times in my life when my expectations were kind of low and God blessed me to kind of overachieve, that middle part was usually pride. I kind of felt like I had accomplished something. You see, I believe that God desires for us to know how to manage the middle parts in life when what I expect and what I receive are different. How are we going to handle it? Uh, last night, we had our senior awards gala at Georgia. Uh, all day long, I was, you know, stepping and fetching for recruits. You know, you got to put on the whole big, you know, nice, glamorous uh, you know, story, the coaches are nice, nobody's yelling in practice. I mean, it's a beautiful scene during recruiting. And, you know, every one of those recruits is expecting 
to be in the league. Every one of them thinks they're going to be a first-round draft pick. And we've had some of those guys. We've had A.J. Green, and we've had Matthew Stafford. We've had a lot of guys who are very rich, very successful. But it was amazing last night at our Senior Awards Gala to see so many guys who were disappointed. So many guys who had expected stardom. So many guys who expected to be on ESPN, to be All-American. Of course, we had a few of those guys last night. But out of 25 seniors, maybe one or two of those guys are going to go to NFL. You see, a lot of those guys are struggling with managing the middle parts because what they expected when they were on their recruiting visit and what they're experiencing at the Senior Awards Gala are totally different things. If you think about that whole idea as we approach Christmas We celebrate the coming of Jesus. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, the birth of the Savior. And we know that um, Jesus probably wasn't born in in, in December in the whole nine. That's not the point of it. We celebrate Christmas because we celebrate the fact that Christ is coming to our lives. But guess what? Sometimes when Christ comes into our life, he comes into a way that we do not expect. And sometimes if our expectations don't match what we're expecting, we don't manage the middle parts correctly. I believe um, Luke chapter 7 is um, the, the greatest example in the scripture of expectations of Jesus. You see, if you were to go back to chapter number 6, well, to really understand chapter number 7, you got to go back to chapter number 6. You see, in chapter number 6, Jesus is preaching what we know as a Sermon on the Mount. It it provides uh, really the greatest example of what our true sermon should be. You see, in America, we have men who are in pulpits who preach, and we think that's a good sermon. But I, I would submit to you, I would confess to you that the greatest sermons are those that are preached outside of the walls of the church. Man, the greatest sermons are are, are things that take place after the benediction are given. The greatest sermons are preached when it is shown in a man's life and how it's lived or in a woman's life and how it's lived. A great sermon that can be preached today is not going to just happen at Cornerstone. It's going to happen when your kids see you loving your wife or your kids see you loving your husband. A great sermon will happen when you love your neighbor. A great sermon happens when you're at work on tomorrow and you're, you're, you're showing the love of Christ in the midst of a a world that does not honor Christ. I believe that the greatest sermon that you can preach will take place when you get out of the seat and you begin to live out the words that Christ is preaching. And that's what he's doing in chapter 7. Chapter 6, he preaches the word. Chapter 7, he lives out the word. If you look at chapter 7, it really can almost serve as like a mini-mester in Christology, the study of Christ. You see, you have three stories that show three different expectations or three different pictures or glimpses of Christ, and it shows us something that we got to understand today. The first story is about this man. He's a centurion, which means he's in the army. He's a commander and the bible literally says that the centurion had a servant that he loved and the bible tells us that this man loved his servant so much that he sent the jews to jesus so that jesus could heal the servant it is a powerful story because you have a centurion who's not a believer you have the jewish leaders who are believers in a sense and you have the jewish leaders who go to jesus and say This man deserves that you should do the miracle for his servant. Why? Because he's giving money to the church. 
You have the centurion, after he sends the Jews to Jesus, he sends another group and says, no, 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 no. Jesus is not even worthy to come into my house. But if he would just simply speak the word, my servant will be healed. You catch it? One group says the man is worthy based upon his financial contribution. The other group says, the other man says, I'm unworthy because I know I don't have a relationship with God. What a, what a tremendous picture of how, how, how crazy church is today. If, if that was a contemporary picture, the deacons or the elders would say, hey, Jesus, this man has built us a new building. This man has bought us new pews. This man has built us a new family life center. Why don't you do the miracle for him, Jesus? But the man says, no, 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 I'm unworthy for divinity to come into my house. So he says, Lord, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. I love the, the, the picture that it kind of presents for us because in the passage, Jesus is absent from the servant. But though Jesus is physically absent, he's presently powerful. In the text, Jesus is walking. He's, he's on a trip. And the Bible says that Jesus is no longer walking. The Bible says that he gives us a picture that he's seated in heaven. But though Jesus is no longer walking and he's now seated, I believe that Jesus is still interceding for us. I believe that Jesus is still impacting our lives. I believe that Jesus is still speaking the word for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. It is a powerful picture of the present ministry of Jesus Christ. You have Jesus absent, but though he's absent, he's still presently powerful. That's the first story. The second story is of a funeral. You have a widow. The Bible doesn't give a whole lot of details. It doesn't disclose the reason for death. But the Bible simply says that a widow has lost her son. And Jesus has compassion on this woman. He touches him. He's raised and he begins to speak. The more I look at that passage, the more I think about my life before Christ. I mean, I was raised in a church very similar to this small church. It was a church plant. My pastor tells a story about <clears throat> how my mom walked through the doors after the divorce. And the first Sunday we came to church, my pastor tells a story about how he held me in his arms. Then he tells his joke. I can't hold him anymore. He's too big now. But I always hate that. Um, but my, my, my pastor has known me before I really knew myself. But the, the, the beautiful thing about it is there was a point in my life where I recognized my need for Christ. Man, when I was about 15 years old, I totally turned my back on the Lord. I totally turned my back on the church, religion. I kind of was feeling myself. I went to my mom and I said, hey, I'm not going to church anymore. I'm done with this. It's stupid. It's, it's foolish. You know, Christianity is the tool for the week. And, you know, my mom surprised me. She said, okay. At that point, when I was 15 years old, my mom began to just pray and call out to God on my behalf. She began to pray and pray and pray. I can remember on Tuesday and Thursday nights, man, my mom would be on a prayer cell with her, her prayer group just praying and praying and praying. And God began to work on my heart. I went, I, I left church for probably about a year and my youth group was very active. So I couldn't tell her I wanted to go back to church. So me being prideful, I told her, I said, well, you know, they, they're going to Six Flags. I want to go or I miss my friends. So I, I started going back to Sunday school and I would drive myself to church apart from my parents. And I would go to Sunday school and I would leave because I had to, you know, have a relationship with God on my own terms. Well, on December 2nd, on 19, 1996, I had been in church. 
I, well, I had been to Sunday school. I had seen my friends, and I was headed out of the church. I was headed to my car, and one of the deacons saw me. He asked me where I was going, and I was kind of prideful, kind of flipping. I said, hey, go home. I don't go to church. I just go to Sunday school to see my friends. Not n- desiring a, to know more about God, but just too prideful to admit that I really needed him. Um, Deacon Woodruff probably did something that most churches you can't do today. He literally grabbed me and pulled me back in the church. Uh, any deacons and elders, you see some knuckleheads, just do that. It'll work out. Just trust God. Um, so he pulled me back in the church. He began to go through the Romans road of salvation. And literally, I saw my need for Christ. It's like the scales fell off. And on December 2nd, I was born again. I had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the, the beauty in the story is, I never thought I was going to be a preacher or a chaplain. But, man, the change was so evident in my life that I had to tell somebody. I had to begin to speak about it. I went to school. I started telling people about, man, I'm saved. I, I got a relationship with Jesus. I started telling my teammates. I started telling people in class. I started a Bible study. It was, it was, so, it was so important that I had to say something about it. And I wonder today, man, how important is Jesus coming into your life? And if it is important, man, who are you telling about it? How important is it that you're sharing it? You see, this man in the passage was dead. But when Jesus came into his life and touched him, he began to speak. And I want to encourage you, man, tell somebody about your relationship with God. Don't just sit on it because it's too important not to share. Now, I had to to do a little bit of work to get us up to verse number 18. And now we're at the passage for today. It says, then the disciples of Jesus reported to him concerning all these things. Here it is. What are all these things? The Sermon on the Mount, healing the centurion, and the funeral. You see, the thing is, John is a familiar character in an unfamiliar place. John is the first cousin of Jesus. He's the forerunner of Jesus. He's the cat who baptized Jesus. John is probably, in the New Testament, he is what I call the first megachurch preacher because he had a huge multitude even before Jesus hit the scene. But the one who was the forerunner, the one who was used to answering questions, or the, the one who is used to answer, uh, giving answers, is not answering questions. Because he, he, he's hearing about this Jesus who's showing up in a way that he did not expect, he begins to ask the question, Lord, are you the one or should I expect another? I want y'all to get this. You see, John preached about a Jesus Jesus who was going to bring judgment and condemnation. But he heard about a Jesus who came up dispensing grace. You catch it? If you read the scriptures, John preached judgment But when he was in prison, he hears about this Jesus who's dispensing grace. And when the Jesus he was expecting does not show up in his life, what does he do? He asks a question, Lord, are you the one or should I expect another? I believe this is a question that many of us ask if we're really honest with ourselves. If we pause and take inventory in our lives, if we're we're really, really honest and we move past kind of the churchy, I'm blessed and highly favored, if we really are honest with ourselves and God this morning, how many of us 
have heard or are hearing what Jesus is doing in the lives of somebody else. And we're asking that question in our heart. Lord, are you the one? Or should I expect another? See, I don't believe that Jesus, that John was really questioning Jesus. What John was doing was, John was asking the question, Lord, have you forgotten about me? Lord, I prepared the way for you. Lord, I baptized you. Lord, I'm in prison. Lord, you're speaking the word. You're going to funeral services, but here I am in prison. Lord, have you forgotten about me? It's amazing that I kind of talk and counsel, you know, with couples. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it breaks my heart to, you know, talk to the couple. My wife and I, um, you know, we, we've been married two years. Uh, we have two children. Um, it wasn't very hard for us um, to have kids. But we have, you know, a, a friend of ours, and they're struggling so much to have a baby. And though they haven't said it, but every time Avita talks to her good friend, I can tell she's wondering, Lord, have you forgotten about us? We're married. We're, we're, we're in church. We're serving. But Avita and Thomas are having kids. But, man, things aren't working out the way they should. For some people, it may be your marriage. You thought that coming to Christ and you're in church, you're involved, and you see that things are a little bit better, you know, with the Joneses, and you're thinking like, Lord, why is my marriage not better? I see what you're doing for this group or that group, but, Lord, why is my marriage not, not better? For some people, I have a guy at, uh, at Georgia. He's from a very affluent neighborhood in Atlanta, he has six of his high school friends who are, are in rehab right now for pills. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you've been involved in church and you're doing what's right, but, you know, things with your children just aren't panning out the way you think they should. And you see how, you know, God is blessing another family, and you may be wondering, like, Lord, like, what's the deal? My family isn't going the way I expected. For some of us, it could be your career. It could be, you know, things on your job. You're honoring God. You're serving him. You're doing everything you feel like you should do. And you know what? Man, Jesus just isn't showing up the way I expected him. Um, this sermon is kind of personal to me because, you know, we have two kids in the, in the nursery. And on May 24th, we had my son. Um, he's my namesake. He's Thomas Colin Sellers IV. I'm the third. Man, my whole life, all I wanted was a son. All I wanted was my boy. This is a shame that I would say this, but when we found out that we were having our first child, she was a girl. I was disappointed. My wife just went off on me because I was stupid, you know? But I, I wanted a boy so bad. And on May 24th, we had him. On May 26th, we found out that he had a birth defect. On May 27th, we found out he had to have brain surgery. All through the month of June, we're talking to neurosurgeons and plastic surgeons. And you know what? If I'm honest with myself, things with my son just did not, you know, it just did not pan out the way I was expecting. And you know what? We were sitting in that hospital, and I was looking at my wife just thinking, Lord, what's up? Young couple, love my wife, faithful been, we prayed every day for him in the, in, the, in the womb. My wife did a great job, you know, keeping herself and making sure that, you know, she took her prenatal vitamins. And, you know, we had prepared for this son. But when he got there, you know what? I kind of almost felt like, Lord, you, you didn't keep up your end of the deal. 
And if we're honest, if we're honest this morning, a lot of us are at that place because things in our lives just are not going the way we expected. If you look at the passage, uh, John's disciples go to Jesus and look at what Jesus does. Um, Jesus is in the midst of many miracles. He's in the midst of doing more ministry. He's in the midst of living out the sermon. And then Jesus says in verse number 22, he says, and Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you've seen and heard that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the death hear, and the dead are raised. The poor has the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's it. It's kind of like if, if you were going through the worst crisis in your life and you came to Pastor Daryl and Pastor Daryl said, um, tell brother so-and-so, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, death here, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. I mean, you would be like, hold on, Pastor Daryl. Like, what's up, bro? Like, is that the best answer that you can give me? The worst, the worst possible scenario in my life is playing out, and that's all you can say? But the reality of, what, of it is, what Jesus was doing was he was quoting a passage that he quoted in Luke chapter 1 and also a passage that's a messianic prophecy in Isaiah 53 or 55. Um, I don't have my notes with me. I, I try, to, try not to preach with notes because I just kind of want to come up here and just give whatever God puts on my heart. But the re- issue is Jesus is telling John to go back and review you see, when, when John baptized Jesus, the heavens opened up and Jesus quoted this same passage, but he leaves out one very important part. In Luke chapter number one, if you go back and read it in your own time of study, he talks about how the blind will see, the lame will walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf will hear, the dead are raised, the poor will have the gospel preached to them. But in Luke chapter one and in Isaiah, there's one phrase that Jesus omits, and that is, for I will set the captives free. Essentially, what Jesus was doing was he was telling him, yes, I am the one who you've expected. Yes, I am the one who is the Messiah. Yes, I am the one who you prepared the way for. But no, John, you are not getting out of prison. You see, this is a message to all of us who are in a tough place. That every time you're in a tough place and you cry out to God, God doesn't always deliver you from it. John, if he, if anybody was worthy to get out of jail, it was John. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says nothing new. He says, go back and review. You see, that is the importance of having a biblical perspective on what happens in our world. Man, if you look at life based upon your feelings, based upon your emotions, man, you're going to be a wreck. When my wife and I were in the hospital, the only thing that brought us comfort and peace, it wasn't the doctors, it wasn't my pastor, it wasn't the nurses. I mean, it was God's word that he shall never leave us nor forsake us, that he has a plan to prosper us. It was God's word that brought us comfort in those tough times. And what Jesus says to John is, hey, I ain't got nothing new for you. Go back and review. And I believe that's what God would tell us today. That there's nothing new. There's no new revelation. There's not a new word. God can put something on your heart. But guess what? You need to go back and review what God has already said about you. And I believe that if Jesus were here today, if Jesus were talking to us at this moment, he would say, 
shut the TV off, cut off ESPN, turn off the Real Housewives, put up your best life now, turn off whatever is hindering you from spending time with me and get in my presence so that when you do get to the prison, you will have something to review. The issue is many of us are in 5,000 square foot prisons because we're there and we have nothing to review. We have nothing to hold on to. We come to church on Sunday, we check in, but we have nothing to hold on to. We may be driving a $40,000 prison vehicle. We may be wearing a $3,000 prison purse, but it doesn't matter where you are. When you find yourself where John is, what you need more so than anything else in your life is God's word. And that's how you manage the middle parts. It's amazing that though Jesus does not go to the prison to visit John, when John's disciples left, Jesus speaks well of John. It's a, it's a, it's a principle that I've come to understand that even if God doesn't come see me, I hope that God can speak well about me. Even though God may not answer the way I'm expecting him to, I pray that God can still say something good about my life. If you, if you look at the passage, it, it kind of goes against everything that the contemporary Christian church teaches. We teach people if you work harder, if you do more, if you try harder, if you give enough, if you just are in the right church, if you do, 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 then God's going to bless you. And that's totally, totally against what God said in his, says in his word. My encouragement with you today is, man, over the holiday season, when you get around your family, man, review the word. Spend time with the Lord. Get in God's presence because God's word is so, so valuable in our lives. I believe that Jesus shows up in our lives. But when he doesn't show up the way I expect him to, I got to go back to the word to really understand what he's doing in my life. If you continue reading the passage, it, um, excuse me, I kind of got a cold. If you continue reading the passage, you'll find in Luke chapter 10 that John is beheaded. But the beautiful picture of John being beheaded, and this is my challenge today, the beautiful picture of him being beheaded is that when John is killed, his disciples continue to follow Jesus. Man, I'm on TV. I'm, I'm going to get a ring this year. Man, I'm well known because I'm the Georgia chaplain. But you know what? I don't know how much longer God's going to have me in Georgia. But I pray that when my time is up, that the guys who followed me will continue to follow Jesus. My greatest prayer for my wife and my children is that not that, you know, Pastor Darrell always gets on me because I, I talk to him about having a mega church and the whole nine. But um, my greatest, greatest prayer is that, man, when my life is over, that my wife and my kids continue to follow Jesus. Man, what a powerful picture for men today that you are so loving Jesus that you are so radically changed by Christ that when you are dead and gone, that those who follow you today will follow you tomorrow, even though you're not with them. That's kind of all I have today. Um, kind of different. Um, this is kind of a different experience sitting down preaching and kind of just talking to you. But um, I want to just challenge everybody here today, man, that over, over the next few weeks, man, spend time with the Lord. 
spend time with your family, have something to review because guess what? Jesus always shows up, but he didn't always show up the way we expect him to. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, you are so good and gracious. God, you have, um, number one, you've given us the most important gift, and that is yourself. God, I pray that you would teach us, God, how to walk daily in the presence of the Lord. God, I pray a special prayer, God, just on Cornerstone Church, Lord. I pray, God, that your presence would dwell richly here. God, I pray that you would use this church, God, God, as salt and light. God, I thank you for the pastor and his wife. I pray, God, that you will continue to fill them. God, give them vision and direction. God, I thank you for every elder, every member, God. I pray in Jesus' name, God, you will continue, God, to cause us to grow in our relationship with you, God. Thank you, Father God, because you've been so, so, so good to us, Lord God. God, if we had 10,000 tons, God, we couldn't say it enough, God. So in the midst of Christmas season, Lord God, we just want to say thank you. We want to say hallelujah. We want to say bless your holy name. It's in Jesus Christ's name I do pray and give thanks. Amen. 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 Thank you, brother. We're going to do one more song here. And uh, I guess I should say, because of the way I started, uh, Kimberly and I had an opportunity uh, a few months back to uh, have dinner with Coach Rick and uh, got got to hear him talk about his heart for uh, in that dinner, um, men who are uh, who are homeless and uh, uh, without family, and uh, and uh, long story short, just watched him because of his Christian heart uh, weep uh, right before us. And uh, my wife left that meeting saying, "I think we need to raise our kids to be Georgia fans." <laughs> and I said, "Well, hold on, we don't know how much longer the guy's going to be here, uh, but now you know, a good season." SEC East champions, got to give it to you. And uh, having met my brother here and uh, spend uh, a good amount of time with him and uh, hearing a message like this, eh, I'm a little closer. Um, church, there are, as I know uh, you, as, uh, as a pastor ought know, a flock, what I know is, is that we all experience our, our middle part time. What we, what we talked about a couple weeks ago are mean times, and, and very often they are mean times. Very often in those middle parts, we, <laughs> we struggle. We struggle just in our relationship with our God, and He seems forever away. And in those, in those situations that maybe only your family deals with, that unique situation that you are going through, um, you need him more than ever. You need him more than ever. The Bible says that it holds, it holds the keys for us. God is the impetus for how we live our life. His word tells us who he is and that he is trustworthy and faithful. But if we don't know the word, we, we don't know our God. So with, uh, with Brother Thomas, I, I encourage you, let's go back to the word. Let's go back to the word. I'll echo what I said last week. Let's ask God what he wants from us in 2012. Maybe it's we need to read more. We need to pray more. Maybe, maybe, maybe we don't know well enough who our God is. And so when life hits, when life hits, everything blows up because we don't have that anchor of God's word to hold our feet on the ground. 
And we're being, as Paul would say, tossed to and fro by every wind that comes our way, by every wave that crashes upon our life. Where, where are you, God? Well, he knows exactly where he is. And his word, his word has some very clear indications on what you need to hold you, your family, and your heart still and at rest. Pray with me. We're going to sing one last song. Father God, teach us your precepts and your ways. Give us a great love for your word because some of us, that's where we need to start. We know we need your word, but our affections aren't for your word. And so create in us a desire for that very thing that is to our benefit. Give us an affection for your holy scriptures that drives us to them when waves hit, when the storm comes. Give us a love for your word that, that creates in our hearts and in our minds an anchor that keeps us from being tossed to and fro in our very emotions. And Lord, we're, we're going to stand for just another moment and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna say words maybe we've said many times before. I surrender all. I surrender all. We've heard it. We heard it. Lord, we, uh, we don't just sing these words with our lips. We sing them from the depths of our heart and we say them as a prayer even. Even if we don't surrender all, even if we haven't been surrendering all, we're going to sing here right now, Lord, and we're going to confess it as a prayer even. And we're going to ask you to, to help us to surrender all that we might look to you in our middle parts. Trust in you in our middle parts. Know you are faithful in season and out of season. Lord, we do surrender all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, who is our cornerstone. Amen and amen.